Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. When you lead from a base of expertise, your confidence and credibility are derived from your knowledge. People follow you as a result. However, when you take a stretch assignment and span outside of your comfort zone, leading requires a different approach, one of influence, inspiration, compromise, and courage. We are here to talk about how to take that next step and keep going. Now, here is your host, Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. If you're like most of the people I talk with, you probably have more work on your plate than you think is even remotely close to reasonable. And you probably also know you need to put yourself forward just a bit more than you are comfortable doing. And I will bet you have a topic that you just don't want to talk about, whether it's about yourself, about a promotion, about a raise, about a difficult theme, about a difficult message. We all have those, and that's what we're going to focus on today. One, how do you stand up for yourself? When should you? When shouldn't you? Two, how do you say no? Something I think we all need to do a little bit better job of. And three, how do you talk topics about topics that we're not supposed to discuss, but that actually really matter at the end of the day? So my guest today is Liz Kislik. Liz writes for Harvard Business Review and Forbes, and she's also a TEDx speaker. And you're going to see that she's got quite a few insights and techniques that are going to help you master collaboration, think about conflict, do better talent development, and build better customer loyalty even at the end of the day. And it's a combination of practical experience, true stories, and the current research that are going to inspire leaders to start to make a difference. So Liz, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to be with you, Wanda. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to have you with us. These are topics that everybody is struggling with, um, and some maybe not so much as others, but boy, the folks that I talk to are really, really struggling with it. So I'm super excited to get your perspective. I always start with why. What's the thing you care most about in your work? So what's a question you really have always been trying to answer? You know, listening to you, introduce the show, Wanda, I was thinking about just how intimidating these topics really are. It was like a litany of so much of the hard stuff. And it makes people uncomfortable to go to work, makes people not do their best because they're trying to stay away from certain things, tiptoe around, uh, maybe avoid a difficult colleague. And I care so much about people doing better and feeling better at work that it just makes sense to handle some of these things that get in our way. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think, you know, so the work itself is demanding enough. Don't get me wrong. But what really adds the stress are all these things we don't know how to do. And they almost always involve relationship issues, conversational issues, Things I want to say, can't say, am I doing the right thing for myself and my career or not? How do I work with that person? I mean, that stuff is what really wears people down, let alone the work. And I also think it's how we waste more time than we give ourselves credit for thinking about, stewing about, writing an email about, navigating how do I position or not position. I mean, that's an enormous loss of time, to say the least. All right. And you can, you can also exacerbate that. Think about the time we spend before the meeting talking about what we're going to say in the meeting so we don't trigger any bad things, and then talking after the meeting about what happened or what you could think of as organizational gossip. That's a whole other realm of waste 
when we could actually be thinking about and talking to the people that need to hear what we have to say. Yeah. Okay. So let's dig in. Let's start with the first one I teased up, which is how do you stand up for yourself? Now, standing up for yourself might include, I need to stand up for myself in terms of a raise or a promotion, or I need to stand up for myself and say, I can't do what you're asking me to do, or there's a host of ways in which you stand up for yourself. So I want to start with an odd question. When's the right time? And then by contrast, when's the wrong time? I think I'm going to answer the wrong time first because it's more obvious and um, everybody will get it. So it's the wrong time if you're feeling weak or if you know that your audience is not in a good position to receive the message. Now, sometimes you're feeling scared, not the same as weak necessarily, Um, There's a quote, I can't think of who it is by, about saying the thing that needs to be said, even if your voice shakes. Mm -hmm. It's okay to be scared. But if you feel weak, like you might actually collapse in the middle, or if you know that you are in the wrong in some way and have some responsibility for whatever the challenge is in front of you, it's good to clean that up first if you can. Not if it's going to take you nine months. You've got to deal with whatever the, you know, immediate situation is. But in general, if you've had a part in a conflict, see if there are things you can do either by apologizing or clarifying before you head into what's going to feel like a confrontation because you don't want that thrown in your face. And in terms of making sure the other person is as ready as they can be, if you have one of those bosses that you really shouldn't talk to till after her second cup of coffee, keep that in mind. (laughs) Just, you know, there's no reason to decide this is the hill I'm going to die on before she's had her second cup. You could even bring her second cup. But there are things we all have habits about times of day, before and after lunch, um, maybe after your boss has met with their own boss and they need some recovery time. Or if you know, this is really crucial, also goes for colleagues. If you know they're on deadline, they can't really pay attention to you, even if they might want to. So a lot of when is the wrong time is about logistics. Another piece of logistics is not just what time is it, but who is there? There are things that it's much better to say in a one-to-one, whether that is in person, on the phone, on video, than in a meeting. You may want to raise an immediate objection. It may be important. But in the meeting, if it's going to cause a furor or if there are people there who might be hurt by it, think twice. Sometimes you do need to speak up and um, call somebody. I prefer in to out, but call somebody in or criticize somebody, even in a meeting. But it has to be an incredibly important thing to do. 
in general, critiques are best offered in a quiet, private situation. How's that for a start? That's a pretty big start. Okay. I w- it reminds me of a case. I have two comments to make on this. First, you're reminding me of a case of a senior leader that I worked with who could lose his temper. We, we all see those. And in fact, let's all admit, we're all perfectly capable of losing our temper, even though we know it's not the right thing to do. All right. And it wasn't like you had to have the right time of day. I mean, guaranteed Monday was a bad day for him. So, you know, just was just not a good idea to have these conversations on a Monday. And I think his entire team would have said that that's the truth. But there were also moments when he had just been challenged by his senior leadership Mm -hmm. that made him feel especially vulnerable. And that was not a time to try to push him on something that he'd sort of said no to or didn't like or whatever. So you're reminding me all those personal peculiarities that we all have, the more transparent you can be about that with your team, the more likely it is they're going to be able to get the right time to have some of these difficult messages and so on. Okay. And I always say to say to people that you can say things one-to-one that you cannot say in a public format. Um, you might even be think that somebody might even say thank you in saying it one-to-one, whereas publicly it's not going to go over very well. But I have a, so I'm going to move from those to a slightly different thing that I see. I want to know if you see the same and what you recommend doing about it. I have people who are wanting to critique a boss. They want the boss to do something differently for a host of good reasons, Mm -hmm. frequently because it's, but it's not their job. And it's like, you're telling the boss how to do the boss's job. Do you see that? I'm actually laughing because what immediately flashed in front of my eyes or, you know, my, my memory. Many years ago, I took my boss out to lunch. This was many, many years ago to warn him that his boss was out to get him and he didn't see it coming. Okay. And um, it is very hard to help someone who doesn't want to be helped, give someone advice who hasn't asked for it. And if they are the person with the power, particularly so. Mm-hmm. So um, it's really useful unless you have built the kind of relationship in which you talk about larger issues to stick to the work and what works about the work and your relationship. It's totally reasonable to talk to your boss about how they can help you do better at the job Mm -hmm. and about how you can help them with your collective job and responsibilities. I would be cautious about going outside that unless I had actually invested explicitly in relationship building with my boss. Okay. All right. So let's take an example of place people often feel that they need to stand up for themselves. And that I think is right on spot for what we're talking about now. So I have accountability for doing my work, let's say, and I have a peer who sits beside me, who is accountability for doing his or her work. Right. And that peer 
may, let's say, is not doing their work the way I think they should do their work, and it might have impact on me, it might not have a lot of impact on me, and my tension is now with a peer. Okay, now I may wish my boss would go and tell that peer to do their job better, and I may think my boss doesn't see it, but I would contend it's not my job to tell my boss how to manage that peer. So in that context, how do I stand up for myself? Okay, so that's already a complex situation, as most of these are. If they were simple, we would handle them, <laughs> right? So yeah. that's, a, that's a beautiful scenario. The first thing is, if you have a relationship with your colleague, and your colleague is somehow falling down on the job, ask them if they need a little help. Maybe just the conversation with your colleague will help them clarify what's going on, let them express to you a problem that they're having. You may be able to give them some good advice. You may actually be able to share some of their load today, knowing that they'll back you up another time. There are all kinds of possibilities. But the first thing is if you are not interfering, which is part of your big point around this. If you are not interfering, it makes sense to be helpful to your colleague the way it makes sense to be helpful to your good neighbor at home. Um, So there's nothing wrong with having that kind of interaction. The, um, The most important thing, though, is start where you perceive the problem to be. There's no need to bring others into it until you've talked to your good colleague first. Okay. All right. Now, suppose that colleague and I have an okay relationship. I mean, we're respectful for each other, but there isn't a whole lot of trust and we haven't invested a lot of trust. And as is always the case, we have very different styles. So we have different criteria about what success on his team looks like. Now what? Okay. So... I would look for two sort of, um, let's call them screening mechanisms. One is, is your work actually being affected negatively? And the other is, is the work of your larger team, your boss's team, being affected negatively? Because in either of those situations, you probably have some standing to speak. Okay. It's almost always best, unless you're seeing something that's a moral violation. It's almost always best to start from a place of curious inquiry, where you're asking questions to make sure you're actually right. Because the first thing is you could be misconstruing something. And there's no need to go rattle somebody's cage if you actually were operating under a misapprehension. So, check. And you would start with the colleague. Oh, my perception is we need to have these things done and these deliverables ready by such and such a date. I just wanted to check my understanding of the situation. There are loads of ways to say, are we on point here? And see what you get back before you take any more drastic action. But if you really feel that you have data 
that shows you that there's going to be a failure coming because your colleague is dropping the ball all over the place. And if you have concern that's going, this is going to affect you or the team, and you have consulted with these, this colleague and they've confirmed your impression, then it makes sense to think about what could you do to set the situation right? Being a tattletale in a work situation, nobody liked it, you know, when we were nine. At work, it's really, really tacky, and it doesn't help your boss want to help you, even if your boss is the only person who can do something about it. So you have to come from the perspective of there are these things that may not be working so well. It's not even about the colleague necessarily. You could go to your boss and say, can we have a check-in meeting about this project and make sure that we're all up to date, that we're aware of what all the dependencies are? There are businessy ways to raise the questions without saying, my neighbor isn't doing their job and I'm worried about it and I want you to put your foot down. <laughs> Focus on the work and think about yourself from the perspective of a project manager with data. With data. Yeah, I find in many of these situations, the colleague's work isn't actually impacting my work. It just isn't done the way I want it to be done, to the standard I think it should be done to, but it doesn't really impact me or my team. And then in those cases, I think you have to think twice, three times, maybe even a little more before you raise that to anybody, because that's your preference as opposed to what's going to really impact the work. Okay. You raised such a good point, Wanda. There's a difference between something that harms you, the group, et cetera, and what you just don't like. So for most of us, being at work is actually not about us. Mm -hmm. It's about the work. It's about the customers, the stakeholders, et cetera. The fact that you have a preference for how it gets done, even if you are quite convinced you're right, that doesn't give you standing if stakeholders aren't being affected. You may be annoyed. This is a great call to create a stronger relationship with your peer so that you learn more about why they do it that way. Because it's really hard to go over to someone and say, hey, why do you do it that way? Which really, <laughs> you know, sounds like you're looking for a fight. As opposed to, I'm so interested in the way you and your team have approached the Snodgrass project. Could you please tell me more about it? So go with the intent to learn something, because for all you know, they've had years of this and it has worked for them brilliantly. You still may not like it, but you may come to accept it better. Right. right. Or to see a complexity you didn't see before. Yeah. I have also seen that, you know, in my case, if I went to the boss and said, this isn't working so well and so-and-so is not doing what I think they need to be doing that I can easily get labeled a half of the problem 
even though it's not how I see it, I think I'm doing my job perfectly well. I'm seen as someone who can't get along with a colleague, that there's a tension there and I can't manage that tension. And therefore, I'm not being a quote unquote team player or some other labeling. So you do have to be careful about this. Yeah, I'd actually reinforce that and say, all of a sudden, you are the problem. The boss hasn't been aware of the problem you were aware of before. They're not seeing that as a problem. But now you are a problem. Don't put yourself in that spot if you can avoid it. Okay. All right. So... I think in these situations, I want to make sure that I have chosen the right time to raise an issue. So the logistics are right. If it's the style, the timing, the deadlines, the location, the number of people in attendance, I want to recognize my role in causing whatever issue it is that I want to stand up about. And I want to correct that as much as I can at the beginning or at least acknowledge it. Like I realize I could have gotten on this deadline faster. I haven't. And here's where we are. So do what I can to it. To the extent that it involves a colleague, I want to think very carefully about how that impacts my work or my team's work or the larger work. And I want to go to the colleague first before I raise it with anyone else. And if I raise it with anyone else, I want to raise it in an equitable manner, meaning could we all come together to talk about this? Or can I offer some assistance for this colleague? And so equitable and a fair, not I'm right, he's wrong. Okay, great. Now let's take the case. So how? So I've got all of those conditions met. Are there criteria for how I do this that's going to be more effective? Okay, there are so many answers to this question. I'll pick just a couple. Okay. You have to make sure this is something your boss actually cares about. Mm. This is almost like if it's not about you, it's not about you. Um, But the thing is that if your boss doesn't care, even if you're right and it's affecting the work, you can use the data you have, the dates, uh, customer complaints, perhaps, those sorts of things, to raise the issue of a problem to your boss. This situation exists. Can we talk about how to best address it? If your boss is clear, I'm thinking now of a client who used to literally put his hand up if there was something he didn't want to hear. If if your boss is that way, you see that hand, get out of there fast. You need a different gambit. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, Knowing, you know what it is, Wanda? There are a lot of preconditions to this. Yeah. It's knowing what your boss's priorities are. This is the same thing as not bothering them before their coffee or when they're on deadline. If this is a low priority, figure out how to sequence it. When is the time that this will be of interest Mm -hmm. to your boss? If you're about to quit over it, Go sooner rather than later, (laughs) but otherwise don't pick the wrong time. Not pick the wrong time or the wrong priority um, or the wrong fire, as we might say. Okay. Uh, I have to ask one more because I know everybody is on listening to this going, are you going to get to the question, the question, the question, the question, which is how do I ask for a raise? This is another version of standing up for myself. 
everybody is nervous about it. And I, I don't know. What do you say? How do you ask for a raise? You don't ask for it until you've done your homework. That's okay. the first thing. In the same way that as a boss yourself, if you are one, you should be having frequent conversations with your team members about their performance and what they're doing and how well they're meeting goals. You need that same kind of messaging going to your boss. Don't wait until you feel you've been left out in the cold to ask for a raise. That's number one. Number two, you need to be prepared to demonstrate just why you are valuable and that you are valuable according to the things your boss or the organization care about. Mm -hmm. It's not what's important in your own mind you're actually not the employer in this case. This is, this is a sales job. Get to know your customer and what your customer cares about. And then you really need everything else we talked about, about when your boss is in a good mood and they've had their lunch and, you know, all of that. They're feeling up for it. And if you can do it, this is tricky. It's best to ask after you have given the boss something, some I don't mean a gift, I mean an accomplishment that is good for the boss, a fair, equitable person who knows you're doing good work that's supporting their career is much more inclined to hear your proposal when you've been performing well and delivering. So those are a bunch of the things. It's a bunch of it. But I really like this emphasis on what matters to the boss and to the organization. And at this moment in time, I talk to way too many people who say, I deserve it. Okay. And I say deserve has nothing to do with it. Everybody deserves more money. You know, there's, because in effect for a raise, I'm taking money away from something else to put on you and frequently away from someone else to give to you. There's not like this giant hidden pool in the closet somewhere that we get to step <laughs> into and distribute around. So that puts a whole different pressure on what it means. To, uh, deserve is a bad word, but why I'm valuable, why I'm worthwhile. And frequently right. people don't understand what their colleagues have been delivering as well. So you have no clue how you actually measure up relative to that colleague. I think thinking of yourself as an investment, why you should be investing more in me is right, which doesn't mean that fairness doesn't come into it. All your points are right, Wanda, but sometimes it's the feeling that you've been treated unfairly that's the impetus for someone to even sure. think about this. Okay. And do you think it's okay to say to a boss, I feel like I'm being treated unfairly on salary? Is that acceptable or not a good idea? It is, but not at the beginning. <laughs> make the, the good pitch first. The value, the value, the value, the investment, it's great. If you don't get a good response, then it makes sense. Right. And again, you need to do your homework because there's the fear that I'm not being paid well, which is in the headline news all the time and all sorts of places, but that doesn't necessarily mean in actual fact you are being paid unfairly. So, okay. This is not my favorite topic at all. So we're going to get right off of that one. And I'm going to ask you one more. So let's say someone, my boss comes to me and says, Wanda, can you do this job? And I need to say no. How do I say no? Um, my preference is to give your boss choices. I can do it 
if we can push back the XYZ project. I can do it if you give me these resources. I don't like starting with I can't. Mm-hmm. So that's the one I always say stealing is a yes if. Yes, I can do it if and negotiate for something that then makes it feasible for you. Okay, fair enough. Any other techniques besides, I love that idea of give your boss choices because no boss likes not to have a choice. They want to have options. Yes. Um, The other thing is, again, because you're in relationship with your boss and you know what's important, say, I see that this is important to you. I want to find some way to do it. Will you help me figure that out? Involve the boss in your own processes if you can, because you want them committed to whatever solution you come up with. Okay. And this doesn't mean I just add more hours to my day and don't sleep. I don't like the don't sleeping thing. Sometimes it's good to add hours to your day. Sometimes it's worth making an investment in your relationship with your boss. It depends on how overloaded you are. Mm-hmm. You know, we all work too hard, yes, but that doesn't mean that all the things we're working on, that they're all equally valuable. It's worth checking your own priorities. Sometimes this new thing the boss wants you to do gets you positioned in a fabulous way if you can handle it, even if it's a little stressful, might be worth taking it on and then looking for ways to offload some of the lower priority stuff. Right. I have um, one favorite story I have to tell, and then we're going to take a break. So one favorite story is a young woman in this particular case, uh, working in the financial services industry, gets assigned multiple projects, always has a reputation for doing great delivery, being on top of everything, meeting deadlines, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. She's suddenly taking on a massive project, super exciting because of the visibility and the profile and everything that comes with it, and realizes about a week into this project that she can't do it and keep her other commitments. She's going to start dropping the ball, and that's her reputation. And scared, reluctantly, she goes to the person in charge and said, I thought I could handle it. And I find out I can't, and I hate to let this opportunity go, and I don't want to disappoint you, but I'm going to let down my prior commitments if I continue to stay on this project. So please resource it with somebody else. And she quit, you know, I'm like thinking I've killed my career because this was high profile and this was a big deal. And the individual so respected her willingness to not undermine other people that she was doing work for that. Three months later, when she's gotten her other commitments completed, there is a deal that's 10 times the size and she's first up on it. So, and again, but you have to have the relationship and you have to know where the priorities are and you have to know that the person that you will be saying no to actually cares that you manage your commitments and that you don't let other people down as well. But you never know. Sometimes saying no is the right answer. All right. Go ahead, Liz. I'm I'm just going to add one thing to that. If you can propose alternatives, who else could do which pieces? You may have already checked them out to see that they're available. The more you can do to provide a solution for the whole package, the more valuable whatever you say will be to the right. decision maker. That's right. Present 
choices already thought through, not brainstorm, good luck, think about it, hope you can figure it out, boss. That's not very well received. All right. We'll take a break. My guest today is Liz Kislik. As you can tell, Liz has whole lots of ideas on how do we have these more difficult conversations. When we come back, I want to dig a little bit deeper into this notion of talking about topics that seem like impossible to talk about and forbidden, but we all know we need to. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. We have some amazing guests with some incredibly good ideas about how to take your leadership to the next level. But I find people are looking for more practical ways of implementing those ideas. So we've created an individual subscription service specifically to focus on how to apply. You'll find more about that at www.outofthecomfortzone.com. We have two additional subscription services, one for the social group that want to exchange ideas and perspectives with a group and talk about career advancement. And we have a master's level for people who want to take a deeper dive all on outofthecomfortzone.com. We hope you'll join us. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadership-forum.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, helping organizations get it and keep it. This is Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. Do you find yourself in a role where your team knows more than you know? Are you struggling to see how you now add value? For years, I've coached leaders who have moved beyond the comfort zone of their expertise and have developed a methodology to help them make the leap and go on to do more. All of those tips are now packed into my new book, You Can't Know It All. Visit our website at leadership-forum.com or tune in to Out of the Comfort Zone for more insight. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadership-forum.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back to the show. With me today is Liz Kislik. Liz writes with Harvard Business Review, Forbes. She's a TEDx speaker, and she has all sorts, as you can hear, very practical, um, time-tested techniques, particularly for dealing with the tough conversations. So we've talked about... How do you stand up for yourself? And most importantly, when and when not and how. And we've talked about how do you ask for a raise? And we've talked about how do you say no? Three portions of difficult conversations. I want to turn now, and I hate the word difficult, but it feels like there's some things we can just can't talk about. We don't know how to talk about them. What do we do? So Liz, help us get started on this. Like, What comes to mind? What do you hear in your practice of things people feel they can't talk about that we should be talking about? Such a big question. There are the more personal things, some of the things we've touched on already about whether I'm being fairly treated or whether I see others being fairly treated. 
when we see something in the way our boss is operating that we feel is not good for us or not good for the company. And again, I'm not talking about moral violations. I'm talking about taking a project in the wrong direction, you know, regular business decision-making things or the kind of interpersonal behavior that does not lead to retention of staff and, um, you know, a reputation as an employer of choice, which could be anything from being crotchety Mm -hmm. to all kinds of bias. Mm -hmm. All of these things are very hard to address, um, particularly if we see ourselves as powerless and the people we would have to speak to or speak about as being powerful. Mm-hmm. That makes it very hard. When we think we're putting ourselves at risk in some way, and that might not just be about losing our jobs, but about no longer getting the good assignments or just the really awful thing, my boss won't like me anymore, my colleague won't like me anymore, in many of the interviews I do, and I interview a lot of work groups, even when people complain about the company and complain about the work, when I ask them, so why do you stay? They often say, because the people are so great. We care about each other. Well, the idea that you might unbalance that feeling can make it very difficult. Okay. So what's your advice? Where do we even begin? Do I, you want to give you a scenario and we can work through the scenario? Do you want to just give me general advice? Is it the same regardless of the scenario? I'll start with the general. Okay. The first thing is, again, to kind of take yourself out of the equation. Mm-hmm. Are you just having a personal reaction because of your preferences? This is one of the things I sometimes talk about is we can't treat work like other relationships. Money is involved. It's a different thing. You can't assume love the way you do in personal relationships. So although in personal relationships, for example, it can be very valuable to make I statements and talk about what I care about, what I feel, what I perceive. At work, that's not necessarily useful. Mm -hmm. To your point earlier, Wanda, you've suddenly made yourself the focus. Well, that's rarely good unless you're accomplishing something fantastic for the person you're talking to. So pretend it's not about you. If it were about somebody else, what would you think? See if you can neutralize it. Look for where is the upside of change, not for you. Even if you are the person being harmed or distressed, if it were the good way, whatever that is, what is that going to accomplish for others? All these things I'm talking about are about how you sell your position. Right. It may not be fair to have to sell your position. It may be that your boss should have noticed something was wrong or having noticed it should have taken care of it, even though your boss didn't want to create a conflict somewhere else. This may not be fair to you, but at work, the way we're structured, you have to think about how will I make my case? How will I get my point across so that it 
proves the point and the other person is willing to adjust their thinking to take in things they're not seeing today. So take yourself out of it. Think about what is actually in it for them. And also, and this is really unfair, but it's very important. Think about how to help them stay calm during the conversation. Because these are scary conversations. It's usually scary on both sides. And if the other person, particularly if it's your boss, thinks, oh, no, here she comes again. What terrible thing is she dropping on my desk this time? That does not make you an effective messenger. It's interesting, um, this notion about being an effective messenger, okay? Sometimes I think an individual is less effective as the messenger, even if it is about that individual. And that sometimes you have to think of who else would be willing to sell this story or idea that will be more effective or who can join me in selling this perspective that will be more effective. So it doesn't mean I'm just going to dump my problems to somebody else to go take care of, but that they might join me in the cause. So I think that's a great point with a couple of caveats. The great point is if two or three or five of you agree that this is a problem and you go together to handle it, that's a kind of data that it's serious enough to affect a lot of people and it's not personal. And that is often useful when a mid-level, like mid-level managers realize that something's going wrong higher up and they band together to take care of the problem and in effect to create pressure upwards. Mm -hmm. That can be really useful. What is not useful is when someone goes and says, I'm hearing that there's a problem for other people. Yeah. Don't go as a kind of representative of somebody else's problem unless all the other provisos I've said are already true. It's relevant to the business. If you see that someone else is being treated unfairly, you may go to your boss and say, you know, Paul is missing out over here. And it's important we take care of this because to replace Paul will be very disruptive and expensive. Then you're treating it as a business issue. But going just because Paul is upset is almost as useless as going because you're unhappy. Yeah, right, right. And I do see, I see that all the time when someone else winds an individual up to go and deliver a message. And that doesn't necessarily go the way it really needs to go. So it's not really your problem. You don't necessarily even happen to agree with the problem. And somebody has just wound you up and he's like, okay, I'll go and save the day. Bad strategy. Right. Okay. It's also bad to send somebody because you wouldn't go. You know, that all of those, they come across as squirrely, (laughs) not helpful to the cause. Okay. All right. So I need a business case. I need to have a way of saying this is impacting the business in a way the power that I'm speaking to would care about the impact. So we're back to priority setting with that one. And I want to make sure that I have a solid case, meaning I have some data. And as you've rightly said, I want to try to take myself out of the equation. I loved your example. Pretend it's about somebody else, not about you. What would you do then? 
And if we make this change, what is it going to do for us? Now, me, us collectively for the business. And then how do I help the boss stay calm in that particular moment or whomever I'm speaking to? If I can go back, Wanda, to the getting a raise conversation, in that case, you are asking for yourself, but you can still make a case about why it's going to benefit the business because your boss will have made a new investment in you and you appreciate that. And here are the new things you want to do that you will feel energized about, et cetera, et cetera. Even if it is for you, make a case about why it's valuable to the business. Okay. Okay. Fabulous. All right. So Lana, let's see if we can take an example and Shoot. pull this into practice. All right. Let's take the case. Something that's on everybody's mind at the moment. I'm going to give you a hard one. Um, I feel that one of my colleagues is has a bias against someone else. Let's say one of my team members. That's the example I often hear. And I feel that that bias is unfair. And this is a talent that I want to keep and retain. And so long as my colleague is holding that bias, I feel like it's hard for this team member to really perform, excel, feel accepted, uh, get ahead, whatever the fill in the blank is. How do I have that conversation? Okay. So this actually comes up more than it used to because Mm -hmm. in organizations today, we are more familiar with the need for diversity and inclusion, even though speaking as a white person, we are not doing it well yet much more lip service than real change. Um, So that's one kind of bias. I will also tell you that in the mode of my boss hates my team members guts and I don't know why that's also a kind of bias. So in the same way that I talked about making case before you have to figure out What does this cause as damage, difficulty on the team in terms of getting the work done and explaining what resources this person might need or that this person is not being treated as well? But in these cases, when there is a bias, we've already identified that there's a cognitive trap that is happening. The boss is predisposed against. So just going to the person who's predisposed against to make a new case for why they should change their mind may not be effective, particularly if you've had to make this kind of case before. Yeah. So just going back and hammering on the door multiple times doesn't mean that door is ever going to be opened. You may need to find another way in. And in that kind of circumstance where it is one of bias, you often need backup. And that may be human resources. It may be another leader that you have a relationship with who can be helpful. Um, And you may also need 
more formal data, more specific data, because it's not just about your boss hearing the situation and thinking, oh, that's so interesting. Yes, I have to incorporate that new thought. They may be more resistant than that. And so you may actually need to be able to talk about what it will cost in the open market to replace your team member. Um, Comes up all the time. Boss, I know that you really are not thrilled about Jane. And I try to create a buffer because Jane is extremely skillful at her job. And so I try to keep you away from Jane so you don't have to think about it because I know you just don't like her. But the thing is, when you've made these decisions, it affects Jane and then I can't get the work I need from her. You can't stop there because the boss will think, good, now it's time to get rid of Jane. (laughs) You have to go on and explain what we will lose. And I actually encourage you to position in terms of the losses that are impending if this continues, because our brains don't like the idea of loss. And so if you can tee it up that here are the losses that are going to occur if we don't have some kind of shift, Mm -hmm. that's number one. Number two, you cannot ask your boss to like Jane. I mean, you can, but it will not serve you. (laughs) Because, you know, in conflict situations all the time, an organization will say, these teams don't work well together. I want them to like each other. It's irrelevant and you can't make anybody do it. But you can require that they behave in certain ways toward each other and you create as much structure as possible to support that. So you have deadlines and deliverables as opposed to waiting for people to get together. In the case of your boss and Jane, look for ways to buffer the boss further if that's necessary to come up with other ways that what the boss wants to accomplish, maybe you reassign Jane to some other aspect of the work, Um, look at a variety of different options. And where can the work itself support both Jane's continuing performance, because you really want to keep her, and that the boss can be happy? somewhere else and not intrude in this. Right. I'd love that statement. I can't make the boss like Jane or anybody else like Jane or team members like each other for that matter. And it's the wrong thing to focus on at any rate. Can't to do it, the wrong thing to focus on it. I think what you're saying when you say, I want people to like each other is you're saying, I don't want there to be conflict, which is the wrong strategy. Because I contend if you need have a team, you need conflict. If you don't have conflict, you're sub-optimizing performance, period. Now, I don't mean we're having fist fights. <laughs> I mean that we're having honest debate, open and honest debate, where we disagree, because that's the nature of why you need a team. Okay. Yes. If there isn't difference of opinion, I just think of it as difference of opinion, mm-hmm. because theoretically, everybody's working from the same facts. Mm-hmm from the same premises about the business. So the rest is opinion and you need the differences. Otherwise you have groupthink and you go off the cliff. Right. Right. Okay. All right. So I have to do my homework. I have to think about how I can 
take an action that makes this bias less impactful for the team, for the work, for the man, the powers that be, for the individual involved, especially if it's a my report, and especially if it has to do with like or dislike as opposed to something else in a more glaring sense. And I want to position, I want to put the case forward on why the continued behavior from somebody else that I see as bias is negatively impacting the work. The cost of replacing Jane, the cost, the lost productivity, the lack of engagement, the something that is ultimately going to hurt the work itself or the profitability of the work. I don't always want to put it in dollars and cents, but because sometimes it isn't about dollars and cents, sometimes it is. Okay. And and please, let's just, if it is something that is about the actual nature of the person, the kind of person they are, then you have to bring in added support. You by yourself right. are not right. likely to be enough. Great, great. And sometimes it's what's going to make it good enough. You know, we can agree to disagree. We can agree a whole bunch of things, but we can make it good enough that everybody can move forward and work and be productive. Yes. Okay? Rather than fixed. I think we get too um, cycled on fix. All right, Liz, I think we can keep talking about this one for hours on end, but I have to ask you my favorite question to close the show, which is what takes you out of your comfort zone? As much as I deal with conflict, Wanda, I don't like making anybody uncomfortable. So I have to think, I mean, the reason I can say all these things, I have to practice them too. Okay. Um, You get used to doing it but I get uncomfortable also. That's interesting. So this is the thing you do. You're really, really good at, and you get uncomfortable doing it. I hate it if I upset somebody, even if they need to be upset. (laughs) We want to be nice. I want to be nice, but it's important. If it's important for the work, it's worth it. That is such a powerful message because I talk to people all the time who are nervous about giving a difficult message or conflict or creating tension or any of that stuff. And to have you say, this is what I know, and this is my profession, and I still don't like it. Yes, I think everybody else permission not to necessarily like it, but to go ahead with it if it's important for the work. Exactly. Excellent. Excellent. All right, Liz, what a fabulous show. Thank you very much for being a guest. I think my favorite thing from the whole time is it's okay to be uncomfortable saying things that are difficult, but focus on what is important for the work. How does this impact the work? And think carefully. I think the notion that you spend way more time in prep than any of us naturally have thought about is critical to how this goes. And it's not about talking about my feelings necessarily. It's about the impact on the work. So excellent. Thank you very much. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, please like us on your favorite podcast provider. If you'd like to know more how to apply these ideas and others, check out our subscription service at outofthecomfortzone.com. Ooh, let me try that again. Outofthecomfortzone.com and certainly join us next week for another episode in getting out of your comfort zone. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in for another edition next week with Dr. Wanda Wallace on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.